0: You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: That was a little bit scary to me at first because I didn't want to say to people, hey, I am thinking about projects outside of the Abundant Artist because I didn't want my audience, one, to think that I wasn't serving them or that the Abundant Artist was going to go away or anything like that because it's not. like I still love that business, but... I didn't want people to think that I wasn't serious about that. Everything that's come up so far has just been a result of me having essentially very personal or one-on-one conversations with people. This is, I think, yeah, this podcast would be like the first place that I've really publicly said, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. So it's been really interesting to see where that goes. And and where I think I'm gonna go is not necessarily where the wider world sees me going. And I think that's I think that is super interesting.
0: That was Corey Huff, author of How to Sell Your Art Online and creator of The Abundant Artist. He joined me on this episode of Productive Flourishing to discuss how to think through whether to start a new business. Jump to another project, or to not grow your business as you consider dimensions of your life that you'd like to advance. He's come into this conversation after a year of striving to scale his business and learning the hard and perhaps only way that the abundant artist may not be a massively scalable business. Since we're also close friends, He also knows some of the work I do that doesn't end up on social media, as well as some of the opportunities I've decided not to do even though they seem to be the next logical step. From this conversation, you'll see the unconventional guides we use to determine what to pursue next and how to weave what matters most into those next projects. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Today, I'm joined by Corey Huff. Um, Corey has been a guest on the Productive Flourishing podcast Um, two other times, um, one talking about the hidden path for artists. And then the second one was talking, what did we talk about in the second one, Corey? I I forget off the top of my head.
1: I think this is the second one.
0: No, this is the third one, dude. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I might very well be wrong, but either way, Corey's been on this show with us before. I'm pretty sure this is, this is number three. I've Uh, been on the
1: blog like four or five times.
0: Yeah. But anyways, Corey and I, um, great friends. We do a lot together, but we were sort of jamming on some different business opportunities that we had come up. And he said, you know, that would make a great podcast. And I was like, you know, that would probably make a good podcast episode. So that's what we're talking about today. And the basic point or the basic sort of point of departure that we'll be going from is how do you as an entrepreneur decide when it's time to start a new business, or if this new idea that you have is actually a new business, or how not to start a new business when you have so many other what seem to be like new business ideas. Does that about cover it, Corey?
1: I think that about covers it. That's, <laughs> right. uh, I'm, I'm going to start a, a podcast called Creative Dilettante or Professional Dilettante, and it's just, like, just going to be like all the different business ideas I have, and, and I'm just going like to start a new business idea every podcast.
0: There we go. And then give it away to somebody like who wants it. Cause if you want it, clearly I can't run this. So I can't run it. So I started a podcast about it cause that's apparently what you do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so both of us, just for context, both of us, I would probably say are, a- are accidental entrepreneurs in the sense where we didn't necessarily think that we were going to sh- like grow up and
1: be in business for ourselves. Um, yeah, I, w- I was going to be an I was going to be an actor, a Hollywood movie star, or a, or a rock star,
0: and he is just in different ways, right?
1: Um, and I mean, I mean, like literal rock star, not not in the sense of like, oh, he's a social media rock star. Oh, like oh. I, I, I was like, I'm going to be a guitar playing rock star, and I'm going to be on ba- on stage with awesome bands.
0: Yeah, because um, Corey has humble ambitions, um, <laughs> and, and I was, uh, you know, I was either going to be teaching philosophy. Or maybe having a military career. There are different options, neither of which were um, starting a business. So here we are in this weird space to where we started businesses that have grown and thrived. Um, and we're still at our core, um, crazy making creative people that, you know, um, when Corey and I walk into random stores here in Portland, we're like, oh, we should totally start a business around that. <laughs> Half jokingly. Mostly half half, serious, (laughs) half serious, and so this is I think part of the daily journey, right? Um, Of just understanding which of the ideas that you have are ones that are congruent with your actual business. So that's the sort of first step, and then actually worth doing because you have a lot of ideas that are congruent with your business that actually aren't worth doing. Then you have some ideas that are worth doing but aren't congruent with your business, right? This podcast
1: episode should come with a chart.
0: It, it totally should come with a chart. Um, we should make a coffee mug out of this for people too, right? Um, so that it's like, you're drinking coffee, you have the idea, you look at the mug, it's like, where is this? Where does this fit on the spectrum? Um, so yeah, that that's really what what we're talking about here. Corey, give us some context about where you're at and why this is pressing for you.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think this conversation grew out of the fact that I I have deemed 2017 my pivot year. Right, uh, I decided in December of 2016 that I had had enough of trying to like 10x my existing business. Right, I had uh, over over 2016. I I, pref- I I tried doing a couple different things with the Abundant Artist, my existing business, that would that were supposed to make the business grow exponentially larger, scale up, and those things didn't work. <clears throat> they didn't work. They didn't work the way that I wanted them to, and um, and I decided that I was okay with that. Um, towards the end of twenty sixteen, I was like, you know what? Like the business supports me. Uh, it, you know, I'm not a millionaire, but I'm doing quite well. So you know, is it, growing this into you know, why am I trying so hard to force this into being something much bigger than it really is? Right when. Um, I don't think it naturally, like the business as it is, wasn't naturally the kind of thing that would hit that kind of scale. So, uh, you know, I started reading a lot about why businesses scale. And the more I read, the more I realized, you know, I don't think that the abundant artist is meant to be that kind of business. And so then I started thinking, well, if I, if that's true, then what happens next? Because what I have done with the abundant artist is created a business that does not take a ton of my time, right? So if I am working, you know, if I only have to work like 10, 15 hours a week, then what do I do with the rest of my time? And that's sort of where I, where I was at the beginning of 2017. So I've been reading books about pivoting and reading Barbara Scher's work on Renaissance souls and Emily Wapnick's books on, multipotentialite book on multi-potentialites and just kind of taking in a lot of information and experimenting right like i i reached out to after reading jenny blake's book pivot i decided that one of the things that i would do is uh make a list of my skills and abilities and just start looking around for matches for those skills and abilities right and I picked up a couple of freelance uh, consulting projects in internet marketing that were you know, with like, some companies that are not related to the fine art field where, where I work with the Abundant Artist. Um, I started advising some technology startups that are related to the uh, fine art business um, and, and deepened my involvement with some of them, uh, working with uh, a music startup uh, working with just a bunch of different companies and helping them with the skills that I have. And also starting some personal projects, right? Like figuring out, um, doing a little more photography, uh, going on long walks, which is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, and then uh, also looking at if I were going to build a wealth building business, so build a st- business that would scale up to millions of dollars, what would that look like and how would I make that happen? And so I've been having a lot of conversations with people about that. Um, And it's been really fun. It's been really gratifying. Um, The freelance projects have, uh, I'm actually making more money this year with less focus on the abundant artist uh, than I did last year, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm I'm, I'm having a lot of fun just kind of talking to people and, and being involved where I can and otherwise trying to find things that are joyful.
0: It's interesting because as your business matures, I think as our business matured, like joy becomes more of a key metric, right? Uh-huh. Um, because you sort of figure out, Well, I'll pause here. I was, I was talking to um, someone I'm mentoring Friday, um, and you'll like this, Corey. He had sort of a chart where he had two different options that he can take. And so one was working for the corporation that he's currently working for. And he mm-hmm. had a few reasons why, you know, securities and blah, 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 blah. And then he had this other startup idea that he had. And mm-hmm. he had a few reasons why, but one of those that he had on there was certainty, right, going, mm-hmm. the, going the consulting route. And I was like, well, um, I've got a, a conversation with you that I'm going to start this conversation now because I just want to let you know, if you go down this route of entrepreneurship, just go ahead and scratch off certainty. Right, <laughs> um, as as something that you'll have, um, and this is something I've been talking to a lot of people about. Is there's this trade off between, or what people say is, I want more clarity, mm-hmm. but what they really mean is, I want more certainty. Mm. Right, I want more certainty that what I'm doing is going to lead to X result.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: um, in the world of business, you don't get much certainty, right? In that way, you can get clarity. You know what you're doing. You know that it makes sense with your business. You know that it serves people. You could be really, really clearly aligned, but you still won't have certainty. And so I think he made that same same thing, except for in reverse, right? Where he said certainty, but he meant clarity. And I was like, if you mean clarity, great, right? Because you can wake up every day and be on fire, but you have no idea how the hell it's going to work out. Right. And so the reason I say that is, is as you go along, I, I think a lot of us start businesses because we think it's going to have certain outcomes mm-hmm. and they turn out not to have those outcomes. And it's not that the, they're less than, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that you realize a certain thing. Like you and I are both talented enough people that if we wanted high incomes as a key metric, like there's probably corporate jobs we can do. To do mm-hmm. that, right? But there's these other things of joy and creativity and adventure and sort of being able to mul- do multiple projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so joy becomes a pretty big factor. Um, yeah. And I think when you let go of the idea that you're going to retire, like, and you realize that retirement is a busted <laughs> concept, right? And yeah. um, you're like, well, shit, then why am I going to put off like why am I gonna like suffer for the next 15, 20, 25 years doing something I don't wanna do?
1: Yeah.
0: So that I can then do something that I do wanna do when I can do the things that I wanna do today. Done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> um and nope. I think as you go into that though, um I think what you have to watch out for though is there's so much bias in sort of the business and sort of startup land for scale, 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 scale. scale. Mm-hmm. Like scale, yeah. scale, 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 scale. Who gives a shit if you're mm-hmm. happy? scale, 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 scale,
1: right? Well, that's, that's what happens when you have investors, right? Investors want, you know, in, in the VC world, you want three, five, 10, 10 times the money you put in. So in that case, you have to, you know, you have an obligation towards your investors to, to make that kind of money. And that can be a good thing if you're building a business that naturally has that ability and, uh, You know, aligns with what you want to do. But I think that's why you see a lot of uh, companies achieve scale and the founder gets ejected, right? Because either the company gets big enough that the founder no longer has the skill set to run it,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or the founder says, I don't want to do this anymore because the vision of, of the company has gone in a different direction than what they originally wanted.
0: Yeah, and so we see that in sort of the tech startup world, but I think even in the bootstrapping world, you you sort of get to the business. Even if you're starting your own business, it's like um, making the same that you did last year is not Mm -hmm. okay, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even though, you know, as a business advisor, a lot of times I'm like, so what if we were able to make the same this year that you did last year with half the effort? Mm-hmm. Would that be, would you, would you rather spend two times the effort to get two times the, the revenue or would you rather get the same revenue at half the effort? And mm-hmm. a lot of times that can, it doesn't confuse people, but they're like, huh, I haven't thought about those different ways we might go along because the bias and the drive is always more money, mm-hmm. but it's not what you make. It's what you keep <laughs> and how hard you have to work to get what you keep.
1: Yeah. You know, and- one of the things that I uh, have worked on that I'm starting to learn is how to keep my money. I think that's a, I mean, that, that's a, you could do a whole other episode of this show on that, on how to keep your money. Um, because that's a new skill that I'm working on.
0: Yeah. Um, secret number one, start from the perspective of you already have what you need and you turn mm-hmm. out that you'll save a lot of money. <laughs> right. Um,
1: you mean I don't need that new car to make myself
0: happy? Well, you don't need your new car, but tied to that is actually FOMO. Because I think so much of entrepreneurs' money and small business owners' money goes for FOMO. And they're mm-hmm. like, if I don't go to the thing, I'm going to miss out. And I need to be there because I, I might potentially miss something. I'm like, what if you already just needed to do what you already know you need to do? Yep. <laughs> um, anyways, so yeah, um, keeping the money is, is a, a major issue, um, perhaps for another conversation. Yeah, um, but you haven't so so talk to us because I you know obviously we're friends we talk about a lot of stuff. There was a lot of pressure in the beginning of 2016 to scale, so we can say mm-hmm. 2016 was scaling the abundant mm-hmm. artist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way you tell the story was part of it is like it didn't work. Sure. Um, I would like to play out the counterfactual of what if it had worked.
1: What if it had worked? Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about that.
0: And you didn't end up in the position where understanding that you basically have, you know, 15, 20 hours a week when you're not launching something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your reason behind scaling at that time?
1: Uh, it was mostly financial. It was okay. You know, I, want to, I want to work on some wealth building stuff. Um, there was also an element of how can I reach more artists? Um, when I say it was mostly financial, I think that's not true. I think, I think the, the big impetus was how can I reach more artists and help more artists quit their day jobs, um, within the context of what I'm doing at the abundant artist. And so, so that was the impetus. Was that, was that the answer to your question?
0: That's the impetus. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I think where you're, maybe where you're going next is why did I try those things or, or what about those things that I think was going to, was going to work?
0: Well, why did you try those things? So mm-hmm. one, and the second thing is, did you let go of the actual
1: impetus? Mm, okay. So did I let go of the impetus? No. Uh, I, I still want to reach more artists and that's, I'm glad that I still have that, that, that drive because it's driving some of the things that I'm working on now, but uh, the things that I tried, um, you know, just briefly, one was I tried to put on a really big conference, right? I tried. I was like, I'm going to do one of these big conferences where a thousand people come and, uh, we're going to have this big, this big rah-rah session and it didn't work. Um, our particular audience, fine artists, there's no culture within the industry of doing a big conference, right? Everybody meets in small groups locally to where they are. Um, so I learned, I learned, I lost some money putting that conference on and, uh, learned that artists want to meet locally in small groups. Um, so we're, I'm doing some of that, right? Like I've traveled a bunch this year, uh, and I will continue traveling this year, putting some of those together. There's my cat. He wants to say hello. <laughs> um, and then, um, the, other thing that I tried was we tried to put together a, um, a marketing agency for artists, which was, you know, it's different from an art gallery in the sense that an art gallery is really, uh, you know, they take 50% of what the artist earns and they handle basically all of the marketing. And what we were trying to do was create a, uh, marketing business that artists would, where the artists would hire somebody And, and they would just handle the marketing stuff, not anything else. And, um, it just didn't work out there. Even the artists who are already generating lots of revenue, um, didn't want to hire somebody to hand over their marketing because again, it's just unfamiliar. They're just unfamiliar with the concepts of paying somebody that much to do stuff for them. So, uh, that that was sort of the gist of the things that didn't work out. Um, you know, there's other things, but that's, But the basics. Yeah.
0: So, first off, I want to applaud like public being public about the things that did not work out because so much of the, you Uh know, business marketing show is just talking about the stuff that did work and Uh not necessarily like, oh, that was um, six months of my time and about 15K and it did not work. Right. (laughs) Um, but you know, there's an interesting thing here, and I think is what you learn, and it kind of goes to that point. How do you know whether to pivot or stay within your own business or do something completely different? Is mm-hmm. um, there are the Rumsfeldian quote? You guys know I love this, right? So there are the known knowns, there are the, <laughs> the known unknowns, and then there are the unknown unknowns. Use it all the time because it's br- it's brilliant, right? Um, there are some known knowns, right? And one of the things that you have to think about as a entrepreneur someone thinking about doing something different is how ready is the marketplace for this? And mm-hmm. I think there's sometimes we ask that question um, and sometimes we don't. And when we don't, we end up in a lot of like, Oh, I didn't even think about that sort of problem. But I think sometimes w- with our entrepreneurial ambition, and this is all of us, is like, it's, it hasn't been ready for this, but my doing this is going to make it ready. Um, for this type of thing. Um, and it's a tricky balance because a lot of times you're doing it does not bear upon the market's readiness for there to doing this, this sort of field of dreams thing. Like if we just build the field, mm-hmm. they will come. Not so much, actually. <laughs> um, that's, that's not, the way it
1: works out a lot of times. Um, or you, you know, might um, go ahead. just fun. Like, so, uh, I'm on Ramit Sethi's list. And, uh, he sent an email out earlier this week and in, he was talking about knowing when to build a product. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he pointed out, which is totally true is customers lie like all the time, all the time. You're like, you, they're like, you ask your customers. So if we build this thing, like, would you buy it? And the customer's like, yeah, totally. And then you, but you build it and they're like, nah, I don't want that. Nah, man, and, oh, this is cool. <laughs> And customers like, like, I don't think it's so much that the customers lie. I think they just don't know what they want. Right? Yeah.
0: Well, and that was because you used a lot of um, Ryan Levesque um, ask methodology last year, right? Mm-hmm. To determine mm-hmm. what people wanted. And you build sort of the things that they said they wanted,
1: right? Yeah. And, you know, I think if Ryan hears this, he's going to be like, well, how did you implement it? And this is not against his <laughs> method, right? So just first yeah. off, right. Um, but I think it, it's more about. Um, One, with the conference stuff, I asked, and I didn't listen to the response.
0: Mm.
1: Right? Um, Why didn't you? Well, I think because my ego got in the way. Uh, It was more about what I wanted and less about what they were saying they wanted. I asked. I said, hey, I want to put a conference together. And the response was essentially, "We we don't want to come to a conference. We want you to come and do a small event where we are. And I didn't want to travel that much. I didn't want to figure out the logistics because I hate figuring out travel logistics. I have um, small tangent. I have booked the wrong plane for a trip at least three times in the last year. So wow, you're <laughs> really not
0: good at that, bro. Really <laughs> not. <laughs>
1: um, so uh, beyond that, so, so just not listening to them and saying I'd rather do it my way. And you can't force customers to do do it the way you want them to do it. Uh, so there's that. And then so
0: headline ignoring customers customers equals lost money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And then the second one with the agency stuff. Uh, so I spent a fair bit of time, probably thirty hours or so, interviewing artists who were already, you know, they already had moving thriving businesses and asking them, what do you want? What do you want? What would help the most? And their responses were all, I want to hire somebody to handle my marketing for me. So then I went away and I built, um, some, some marketing packages and I found an agency that whose services I could outsource, um, white label and we got the pricing right and we got everything down. Um, and then when I went back to all those artists and I said, okay, we're ready to go. Um, when, when it was time to put money, down they all said no right so and in that sense all i was out was time um you know i did my due diligence i did my surveys and the you know the ask style stuff and um and just what i found out after doing all the research is they weren't ready to go right like that the market wasn't there um and i'm actually really grateful that i went through the exercise because it was really instructive. I, I got to build some cool relationships and talk to people, but uh, yeah, I realized that it, the market wanted something different than than what I thought they said they wanted.
0: So you mentioned that with the abundant artist that it reached, um, like, let's call it its local max, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of like, it's it's probably about it's doing about what it's going to do, mm-hmm. and businesses at their local max. A lot of times, we can grow them you know 5 to 7% a year. Mm-hmm. Um we can do different things that, that may have a bump in success but they're not going to 10x, right? They're not mm-hmm. going to 20x, right? Um, mm-hmm. how did you come to the determination that that you had reached your local max with the abundant artist?
1: Well, so we 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 sell online courses. That's mm-hmm. our business model, right? Mm-hmm. I just I do some coaching, but 80% of our revenue comes from online courses. So we have introduced a number of online courses and our primary course our how to sell your art online course. We've been running that course for, um, since 2009. So it's been eight years and we have tweaked it and refined it. Uh, I have, you know, I don't think I could improve the core, the core product any more than I already have. Um, maybe raise the production value a little bit, but the the course material and, and the outcomes and stuff we're really, really happy with uh, a lot of our artists are, have had great results and, and we have a lot of testimonials and all that good stuff. Uh, but as good as the product is um, we've never gone above a certain uh, sort of launch result, right? We've never had a million dollar launch or anything really close to it. Right. So, and, and the launches are, have been essentially the same for two years, um, in terms of revenue, even though we've tried lots of different things. Like I've done Facebook ads and Google ads and we, you know, I brought in a launch manager for one of them. Um, we've done lots of different stuff with essentially the same results, uh, in, in most cases. So, what that tells me is there's a there's a ceiling for that particular product, um, and that is our high end course product, right? So, going from that high end course product, I can introduce more lower end courses, which would just be the incremental revenue bump that you're talking about, five um, to seven percent a year or something like that. Or I could introduce a high-end product, which would be, you know, a ten thousand dollar product, which might be a mastermind or group coaching or individual coaching or something like that. But that's not scalable, right? I can't, I can't coach hundred thousand people a year. Um. So what that tells me is there's there's a max there. Um, now there are some other things that I haven't tried yet. Uh, we may, at some point, introduce a. Uh, coach, a certified coaching program
0: mm-hmm.
1: where, where maybe we have uh, some artists who've been through our program get certified as coaches and, and teach other artists. Uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, that may happen this year or next year. I haven't decided yet.
0: A truism that we see, and I, I learned this one from one of Peter Drucker's books, um, and I've seen it play out time and time again, is that every time you double your business's revenue, you have to find a new capital base. hmm Right. Um, now, with the world of the Internet, it may not be like double. and But I think there's a certain point where it's still it's true is that to to double your business, you have to find a new base of customers, a new base of funding and so on and so forth, right? which is where we see this from. And that's what happens. I've um, been, been talking a lot about sort of um, success plateaus that you can get on. You reach a certain success plateau and you're not finding double the readers anymore, right? And so right. that's why yep. it's great. Like your first year of business sometimes can be really great because you make $30,000, you're over the moon because you go from zero to 30, right? Yeah. And then your second year, you might go from 30 to 65, 70, and you're like, I doubled my, my revenue. And then in the third year, you yep. might do it again, right? Yep. Um, because you're just really mining the same capital base, the same reader base that you that you have. Yep. It reaches a certain point, though, where you don't double from 300 to 600, without mm-hmm. finding a dramatically new capital-based revenue source product stream or
1: you know traffic stream so on and so forth right right you go from a tiny niche to a bigger niche to yeah whatever
0: yeah and you know and in the earlier days you being you know so cory and i sort of grew up i think maybe on the internet i should say um i, I grew up i think you came in a little bit later where like Crashing the homepage of Dig was like the the, the thing, right? (laughs) Because your site would get shut down and you get all these new readers and things like that. And in the beginning, things were good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you get enough traffic at a certain point that even if you do, you know, get on the front page of Reddit, or even if you do get on the front page of GetPocket, or even if you do end up on these front pages of things, the amount of difference that that makes to your stats is just a blip, right? Yeah. Um, and so you have to really find this new, so, you know, in Corey's case, we can't just add on another 10% of artists for him to reach his goal. Like we got to add a bunch more, even, even if we do flesh it out. So the reason I'm going through all of that, again, pulling it back to the main topic here is if your, um, reach ambitions, whether that's revenue or whether that's number of people, um, that you 're reaching has reached a certain plateau. It might be time to to question, okay, not is this an internal business not is this a business model problem, but is this actually a market problem that you need to approach a bigger market, a different market, or approach that market in a completely different way than your current business model you 're smiling yeah. at me what 's going on there
1: oh i'm just i'm i 'm just uh I love your analytical style right. <laughs> I love like your brain naturally defaults to okay. What are all the pieces and how do I make a framework out of this? And where's my list of learnings? I love that about it's, it's you. It's how
0: I roll. <laughs> um, otherwise, there's way too many choices. I don't know what to do with them. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing. If you've reached your sort of local max as far as revenue or reach, um, here are different things you do. Uh, there's another interesting context, and this may be. I think when when you texted me about this, is because I was talking about. Um, the app, and I'm still considering the app, right, of mm-hmm. when, when not to grow your business a certain direction mm-hmm. when that live op- opportunity is there. And, and so to pull some, everyone into the conversation, this is um, something that I've considered for at least the last two or three years, and it's reaching a point to where with the size of our list and our ability to sell the planners and things like that, like the number one thing that people request of us is, will you make an app out of this? Uh-huh. And um, so that, that's one major consideration. And the other is when we're looking as far as scalability goes, um, building an app reaches new markets or reaches um, new people who might not otherwise buy our current product. Uh-huh. Um, and so it seems to be one of those logical next steps, right? And I've had many people point this out to me like, hey, Charlie, it's a logical next step that you should start an app business. So go start an app business. Sure. Sure. And um, hitherto, and I'm still at this place where I'm like, I don't know that I want to go that route." Um, yep. part of it is just like, I have worked with enough companies to know that starting your own app business it's, it's not just adding on to your current business. it's its own thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's its own sort of thing with its own dynamics. And if we launch an app um, or you know that sort of that sort of software as a service product, we immediately... Becoming competition with Basecamp, Asana, and OmniFocus, at least right. those three, which yep. I'm not saying we couldn't beat them. I'm not saying we couldn't carve out our own little segment of the market that they're not serving because clearly people are buying something that's not working from those different things. And right. you roll right into this sort of, all right, you're in competition. But the biggest thing, and Corey knows this, so I'll just bring everybody else, is that to do it, we would need some initial seed money. Mm-hmm. Um, to do the coding, and that's about you know forty percent of of the revenue that we need. The other sixty percent is all the marketing, all the things it really takes to get it in the market and take it to market. And so to get investors, we're on this loop that we're talking that are talking about. like investors may not be cool with me um, growing the business, having multiple side projects, kind of taking on work that I like to do, like they're like, I invested money in this, I want a return. <laughs> Yeah. Right. You've got five years to 10X this thing, man. <laughs> right. Yep. You, and so, in our, in our sort of pathway, in our models, it would be five years to roughly five mil. Yeah. Right. Is, is what we would need to hit. And I'm like, I don't know whether, I honestly don't know. I've been sitting there thinking about this a while. I don't know whether it's a matter that we can't or that I just don't want to. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was talking to a colleague about this the other day, and I was like, so here, here's how this is laid out for me. I'm currently working on projects that I want to do and that I know make sense and that, um, yeah, they just need to be done. So there's that clarity about that. This is one of those I'm not sure yet. And so for me, it makes more sense to finish the things I know about and that clearly drive things than to add on this new thing that I'm not sure that I want to do that's going to um, require me to focus in a way that I don't know that I want to.
1: Yeah. Um, And this is, this is where, so this year I've been getting into all of this literature around this exact topic, mm -hmm. around people, multi-passionates, renaissance souls, scanners, whatever you want to call them.
0: Great giants. We all have different names for the same people. Yeah. yeah. Like
1: the, the, the the fact that you have so many different interests, um, is a good thing. It makes you an interesting person to have a conversation with, um, But it also can get in your way when it comes to building a business, right? Building a certain
0: type of business, especially.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like if you, especially if you want to build something that's going to scale up, it can get in the way. Um, But even just to to a lesser extent, like I, I work with artists and artists are like the classic version of this. They, you know, I paint in five different media and I make paintings and sculptures. And I also, uh, make bowls and, you know, like all all kinds of different stuff, really hard to even build a little niche, $100,000 business, uh, from if you're, if you're doing something different every single day. And I don't know, I don't know what the, uh, trigger point is or what the mechanism is for deciding how you go from one project to the next and i don't i don't even know if there is a right answer
0: i would definitely say there's not a right answer for all people right mm-hmm. um so that's that's one thing i could say definitively but I, I i think it's for me again joy is a core metric like mm-hmm. when i think about there are parts if we just want to take sort of the the app scenario there's a part that really does sound fun to that um especially building stuff with other people so on and so forth right so i'm like oh that could be really super cool and super fun right um, but then there's other parts of like, you know, do I want to do all the other things like do, you know, depend, especially depending upon who your investing partner might be like, do I want to be having these conversations like once a month, like about all the things that I'm doing to grow the, grow the business as opposed to the product? Because we know, again, it, this, this would be my first time on the bull myself, but it's not my first time on the, at, in the rodeo when it comes to these things. And we know that founders who have a product tend to be really, really product focused Mm -hmm. and not necessarily market or business growth focused, right? And so I have to say, okay, I would probably be much like other founders and creators where I would want to make the product just right. Whereas the investors is like, how many customers do we have? How many signups do we have? Like how many people are trying the free products? And I know that game. and I'm like, I don't know that I want to play that game. I could play it well, right? But Mm -hmm. I don't know that I want to. Um, and there's, it's a Chinese proverb, um, at least that that's what it said when I Googled it. Um, <laughs> but it was like, uh, the first, it, it, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's like, before deciding to play the game, the first thing that you need to look at is how you win the game. Um, no, it's, first thing is how to win the game. Second thing is um, how, like, whether you're going to be able to play the game. And third is, do you want to win that game? Something like that, right? And mm-hmm. so I look at it that way, is, as I'm looking at different um, things to go forward, whether I'm going to um, start this other business, whether I'm going to add an app on this, whether I'm going to start a new course, or you know, whether I'm going to um, leave my business completely and just be the CEO slash CEO of other people's business it's the first thing that I think about is do I want to win that game? Not whether or not I can win it, not whether and like what it takes, but when you look at it, do I want to win that game? And if I don't want to win the game, there's no friggin' use in playing it. Right. Um, and so that's where I am with sort of the app right now is it's like, do I want to win that game? Mm-hmm. Um, understanding that to win that game, was going to require me to not play other games that I might more, that I might rather play for reasons of impact, for reasons mm-hmm. of value alignment, for reasons of um, different things. And I, it's annoying for a lot of people, um, including my wife and my friends. Um, but I tend to think in terms of multidimensional approaches of things. And so I might have one goal of, say, helping people thrive. Um, and then I might look at how can I do this? It, it, for people who are working, how can I do this at a societal level? What different organizations might I want to be part of At the local level? Um, how do I get involved in schools to, to take that one question and look at the different ways in which you might affect change on that different level. Uh And so, um, that's part for me, you know, I was thinking about this before we jumped on the conversation, like, how do I explain that? That's part for me when I decide on taking on a new big project is not just what of the other things I'm going to have to let go of, but which dimensions of things I'm going to need to let go of. And oh. sometimes I'm like, yes, I could make more money doing this. That's one dimension of what I'm looking at, but I might not be able to spend as much time working with, say, the Wayfinding Academy, or other nonprofits, or I might not be able to spend these other things. And those things, though they're not economic values, they have other value that are important to me, and that uh-huh. I'm willing to accept that limitation. And I know, or I believe, based upon the what I've seen from other app creators and things like that, that, especially with investor money, that there's not much appreciation for a multi- multi-dimensional approach to human flourishing, right? As much as it is, where are we on the app? And I don't know that that's the way I want to spend my life. You know, it's been the next three to four years of my life.
1: Yeah. The multi-dimensionality thing is really interesting because uh, <clears throat> when I got started this year thinking about, okay, side projects, where am I going to go? Like, so I picked up an SEO project for a company that, uh, helps authors write books. Right. And I had, that just came because of a connection to a connection. Right. And they just happened to know that I have these skills that these other people needed. Um, that was super fun. But, uh, then as I started talking to other people, um, people have different, like they, they come at these frame at the multidimensionality thing from, from outside perspectives and they see, things that you could do that maybe you don't think that you, that you've never thought of, right? Like they see possibilities for you in ways that you don't see for yourself. And so getting into this, right? Like people, uh, these different opportunities have popped up. Like there's a government organization that's talking about bringing me on to help with some training, um, and me possibly taking a, a, an appointed government role, uh, for a little while, and then there's a technology startup that is related to the fine art industry that wants me to help them with uh, their their marketing. Like These things come up when you start talking to people about it. And um, that was a little bit scary to me at first because I didn't want to say to people, hey, I am thinking about projects outside of the Abundant Artist because I didn't want my audience, one, to think that I – wasn't serving them or that the abundant artist was going to go away or anything like that. Cause it's not like, I still love that business, but, um, I didn't want people to think that I wasn't serious about that. Right. Um, and so everything that's come up so far has just been a result of me having essentially very personal or one-on-one conversations with people. And, this is, I think, yeah, this podcast would be like the first place that I've really publicly said, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going on, right? Um, so it's been really interesting to see where that goes and, and where I think I'm going to go is not necessarily where the wider world sees me going. And I think, that's, I think that is super interesting.
0: It's very interesting, especially in the in the case where we've accepted that our public life is our life mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. way like what people see is what we're doing mm-hmm. and um part of that i don't know i think we've been going there is it's been really interesting in the in, interesting during this political season about what people's expec- expectations are for you to be public about certain things and not public mm-hmm. about certain things and an assumption that I've seen from people so many different times is like, well, if you're not talking about it on social media, you're not doing it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, um, no, maybe it's just that I don't feel like arguing with strangers, right. All Mm -hmm. damn day about something. And I've got other things that I'm doing. (laughs) Right. And so there's all these things that we do in our private life that don't make sense in a public sort of virtual digital narrative, Mm -hmm. but actually make sense for our lives. Right. Um, and What came up for me as you were talking, I was thinking about um, when I was helping Live Your Legend transition um, a few years ago um, after Scott died, and I was sort of the interim CEO of that business, and I was trying to figure out, like, how am I going to explain this to people, Mm -hmm. right, in the sense of, like, it's not because people are like, well, what are you going to do with Productive Flourishing? Are you just shutting it down? I'm like, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) <laughs> why is it I that I can only do one thing? Right. Yeah. Why is it uh-huh. that like, I can either do this or I can't do that. And mm-hmm. like, it does not compute. Right. Is really one right. of those things. I was like, well, um, they're like, well, are you just going to put it on the back burner? I'm like, I, I think I'm going to grow and scale both right at the, at this period of time. Cause that's what needs to happen. And that's what it is. And like, how, that doesn't make what, you can only do one thing in the world. I'm like, seriously, like, it's funny because, um, what I've experienced is our own internal narrative is mm-hmm. that we can do many things, but when we try to tell a story about someone else, they need to do one thing, mm. right, right? Um, but the, oh, rea- that's interesting. the reality yeah. is, is that like, we don't realize that one thing sort of projection is an easy label for us to not have to think about the ways in which someone else shows up in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it creates sort of that mental model for that person. But we realize those mental models never actually match the person. Um, right. So side riff there. But yeah, it's that thing, is like, how do you tell people? Um, it, well, and I've also had a similar thing is as we've been growing, you know, our platform more, as we're getting more subscribers, as we're getting courses out on Udemy, as we're rolling those out, people ask, like, what are you doing? I'm like, Well, I am um scaling back on services a little bit and growing the platform side of things. And they're like, well, are you, are you making services go away? And I'm like, why is it? Why, what's up with the all or none thing? Why can't I not scale it back a little bit or scale it back a lot and still do it with select clients, but grow this. So mm-hmm. pulling this back onto the conversation, when you're thinking about new business opportunities, new idea opportunities, avoid the either or scenario, right? Of like, mm-hmm. you can either do this one thing or you can do this other thing or you have to start something new. So there may be a way, for it to be an and scenario. And what I'll say about that um, talking to somebody else about this. Sometimes we add on different major projects, Uh but we assume that we're going to have the same level of a result with the project that we've now diverted attention from. Uh Right. They're like, well, Uh you know, my business should be here because I've been doing it this long, but I'm like, but really you've been doing these two or three other things the whole time. So you need to divide, (laughs) you need to divide the amount of time you've been doing this by the amount of projects that you've been focused on. And then Mm -hmm. you can probably say like, if someone had been doing this project, let's say, you know, I've seen this, like I've been doing this for three years and it's still not like, I still can't go full time or still can't do X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And I'm like,
1: well, yeah, but you got a day job and you got a wife and kids and yeah.
0: Yeah. And you've been traveling yeah. the world and right. All these types of things. Like what, yeah. what are you expecting here? And so just take the amount of time you've actually been focused on that thing and divided uh-huh. it by the number of major projects and then say, Hey, if you had been doing it in this case, you had three other major things and it's taken you three years. Like, would you have the same expectation for where you are if, you know, um, one year as opposed to three years and so that's what i'll say if you take an and model you want to adjust your expectations to match the level of effort dilution that you've taken so if you work half as much unless you a you a we're doing a bunch of stuff that really did not matter for your bottom line anyways
1: mm-hmm.
0: or b you focus so much more of that extra effort on streamlining your business, making it work, work better, smarter, faster, harder for you. Mm-hmm. You can expect that if you were at, you know, one X and you half your effort, that you're probably going to end up at half X for return to that business. And don't be mad about that per se. It's just knowing going into it that you're probably going to sense, or you're probably going to have some outcome dilution because you had effort dilution. Does yeah. that
1: make sense? It does. It does. You're, the framework brain you have again, um, your analytic part piece. I love it. the The other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is not only like what what I should do and how I should do it and all that, but who should I do it with. Mm. Um, I've been essentially a solo business owner for four years now. Right, um, four years ago I had a job with coworkers and all that stuff, and one of the reasons I started my business is because I wanted freedom. I wanted to be able to decide. I didn't want somebody telling me when I had to be somewhere. I wanted to work on my own projects. Um, and I've really been resistant over the years to hire anybody. Uh, I've been resistant to uh, collaborate with anybody because those uh, freedom priorities and and, frankly, uh, my control freak tendencies uh, told me, do it on your own, right? And I've been sort of trying to open myself up this year to the idea of partnering with people to work on projects and also, uh, yeah, like just, just finding people to collaborate with. And, and I think in my dream scenario, I would have – a collaborator who was into at least some of the same things that I'm into, um, that I could jam on stuff with. So kind of like we're doing now, uh, but on a more regular basis. So yeah, like finding, realizing that I want to have collaborations and then figuring out who I can collaborate with, um, has been an interesting revelation. I'd love to hear what you think there, what your thoughts are there.
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, I think it's ego in the sense where when you come out you like you want things your way mm-hmm. um because a lot of businesses get started because um cory you've heard me talk about the two concepts of for freedom and away from freedom versus towards freedom right mm-hmm. and so i think so so frequently people start from an away from freedom like i want to be free to be to um excuse me I want to not be interrupted. I want to not be controlled. I want to not have other people mess with what I'm doing. right? Uh Uh And so it's the freedom from sort of approach to it. But you do that long enough and you realize that, wait a second, but I actually need some freedom too.
1: Mm.
0: Right. I need some freedom towards something. Right. And when you start looking at that, um, you've been on the journey long enough to know that there are some severe limitations to doing it by yourself. Like <laughs> it's, it's the Fred Flintstone effect, right? Like the car only goes as fast as you pedal. <laughs> right. And then once it stops and you're like, well, the car's not going anywhere. It's like, no shit. You're doing this by yourself. Remember you wanted that? <laughs> and you're like, well, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted, right. And that's yeah. okay. It's a part of that development. Um, I'm curious before, cause I have some different ideas, but I'm curious what, role did you publishing the book last year with a publisher or year before was it last year or year before last year it was last year yeah Yeah. does that bear on your ideas of being open to partnership or does it make it Tell, tell us a little bit about that
1: well that's an interesting question um you know working with a publisher is always i think every author will tell you that working with a publisher is a little bit fraught right like you give up control of your thing and they perceive it and market it in a certain way uh, which may not be one hundred percent in line with what you see it as. Um, in my case, I was pretty happy with the way the publisher saw the book. I was pretty happy with the cover and the design and the collaboration process and everything. Um, i don't like I don't know if I'm looking for that sort of collaboration again. I think because I, that was a very um, business collaboration, right? it was It was transactional mm-hmm. in nature and business you know at its core is pretty transactional but i think that i'm looking if you know collaborations that i'm looking for are more uh passion oriented more emotional and less transaction oriented
0: yeah well i was thinking yeah. about that cuz um you know as as i've been thinking about the book proposal i've working on and some of the things we're doing like we so there are several things going on for for us on productive flourishing side this year but one of mine my thing is like experimenting with partnering with different organizations and things like that to get product and things out so for instance our last mm-hmm. course is on Udemy. Mm-hmm. and that was a play to partner with um, the company um, and you know I've got direct contacts to the people that are helping us with it and it's like what is it like to partner in that way with an outside company? as opposed to just create the product on my own site and launch and market it myself and do it all by myself and Mm -hmm. playing with that. But then there's also the book publishing, which is in the ideal cases, a partnership, even if it's Mm -hmm. transactional, right? It's, it's still um, a partnership in different ways. And what's it like to partner with, um, you know, potentially different investors for the app. Right. And, and to really think in terms of partnership um, it's, it's again, um, one of those things for me, like, I realized that the, well, and what I'll say on this one is a large part of our success in the past has always been with joint ventures and, and Mm -hmm. different collaborations. So this goes way back with like me and Pam slim running liftoff. And then um, some of the stuff that I've jumped back and forth with Jonathan fields about, you know, doing and things like that. So partnership and collaboration has been part of what we've done from the beginning, Mm -hmm. but it's taking it to a new level. Um, But it's still, not the sort of level of daily interaction that you're talking about, um, which, um, what I think maybe one of the differences is that, um, with team PF right now, we have, um, myself, Angela, Joe, um, Shannon and Jess, right. So Mm -hmm. we have five different internal collaborators and builders and that's kind of how we see how I see them most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I don't feel the need to go too much outside for that, but if I were right. if I were by myself and there've been periods of time with PF where like it was largely just me, it was miserable, man. I was just like I don't want to do this, right? If I um there are other there are other more fun careers to be a solo creative person than right. running your own business by yourself. But I think that's a that's a factor people people come to because I mean, running your own business can be incredibly lonely. Even though you talk to people all day, even though like, you know, you're doing the social thing and even though you're going to all the conferences and things like that, it can be incredibly lonely. Yeah. Um, and lonely for the sense of responsibility that you have, uh-huh. but also lonely because like if you make a decision and like just all that decisional weight is on you. Right. And it's yeah. like, I just want someone to help me make this decision, please.
1: <laughs> Decision fatigue These, is for
0: real. It's a thing, man. It's totally yeah. a thing. And so um, I think that's another aspect to think about with this broad topic of is it, is it time to um, – if you're in a multi-party business – would you be nourished by starting your own side projects so you don't have sort of committee decision fatigue, which happens on the other side of things, right? You're like, I just want to get things done, but I got to talk to four people and it's pissing me off, right? <laughs> that happens too, right? So that's why as much as as much as much I do work with people on focus, especially as it comes to strategy execution and things like that, like it's important to have... Side projects to where you might be in a different leadership mode, you might be in a different responsibility mode, or might tap into a different skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't have those, I think what you'll end up doing is corrupting and breaking your business to try to make it be all things for you. And it's much mm-hmm. like being in a relationship with a human. Like if you expect your life partner, to be all things for you at all time, that's going to be a very challenging relationship to be in on both sides. Cause no one person can be your everything.
1: Yeah. And nobody wants to feel like they are solely responsible for somebody's happiness.
0: I'm yeah. Sure. And so I think the business is the same thing. Like if you expect your business to feed all parts of you, um, that's a pretty high like bar for a business to do. Like there are, other, there are other outcomes, and so whether you need to have a um, separate thing that you do on the side regarding politics because you don't want to make your business politically overcharged, that's one one way to take it. Maybe oh. it's you want some really free-formed left brain or right brain sort of thinking going on you know, in another business, and that may be a way to do it. But again, another aspect is, another sort of way to approach this topic is Would starting another project, not necessarily a business, right, Mm -hmm. Um, give you the chance to cultivate and um, master different parts of yourself that your current business won't let you? Because that's not Mm -hmm. what that's not its job, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Some good food for thought today, Charlie.
0: Indeed. Thanks so much for prompting the question and joining me today. Um, Since you're the guest, though. Right. Remember guests get to leave our listeners with a question, an invitation, or a challenge. What would that be?
1: Sure. Uh, so maybe two things. Uh, one, obligatory plug of the abundant artist. Uh, if you are, if you are uh, a visual artist, a painter or a sculptor, or somebody whose work might show up in an art gallery, and you are looking for help with selling your stuff, marketing your stuff, getting the word out, making more people hear about your stuff, Uh, then you can reach out to me over at theabundantartist.com.
0: And what I'll say about Uh, that is Corey is my go-to guy. Like whenever artists come to me and they start talking about art business stuff, I'm like, I'm a business strategist, but Corey is your guy. So if you are that person, I highly recommend you talk to Corey and and check
1: out his stuff. Thanks, Charlie. Um, And then the second thing is uh, because I am so focused on collaborations right now, uh, I'm open. So if you're like, I would love to partner with Corey on that, insert weird project, uh, I'm open, you know, I, I I might say no. Um, but I, am definitely open to the conversation. I'm looking for some creative weirdos and fellow, uh, curious people. (laughs) Right on cue, right on cue. Um, so yeah, you can hit me up. Uh, my email is Corey, C-O-R-Y at the abundant com.
0: Alrighty. Thanks so much for joining me today, Corey. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, listener. So we just wanted to have a conversation about um, some different ways to think through whether your new idea is within your business, without your business or something you shouldn't do in the first place. You know, think in terms of, is it joyful? Um, think in terms of, have you set up an either or scenario? Um, also think in terms of whether this new thing allows you to cultivate and master new skills and dimensions of yourself that you find important to your flourishing.